0: It's only 4.29, according to this clock, so got a lot of time today, if that's a.m. I want to start this morning by giving just three examples of Old Testament commandments, three types of Old Testament commandments that you might run across. Now, I'm paraphrasing a couple of these, but I think you'll see the intention of that. So three examples of Old Testament commandments that you might run across when you are reading your Old Testament. One, you shall have no other gods before me. The first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Another one you might run across is this. Something something like this. You shall offer animal sacrifices. You shall offer animal sacrifices. And then a third one that you might run across goes something like this. You shall not eat bacon. No, that's one that we desperately want to... Find a way around, right? So, so, so these are three types of Old Testament commandments that you're going to find three varieties. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall offer animal sacrifices. You shall not eat bacon. When you're reading your Old Testament, you're going to run across commands like these. You can open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter five is where we are, and and we're going to be asking the question this morning: What do we do with these commandments? Now, now last week we answered a broader question. We looked at verses 17 and 18 and, and we saw what Jesus was teaching about the Old Testament scriptures in a broad, general sense. We were, we were asking the question last week, how do followers of Christ, how do disciples of Jesus relate to the Old Testament in general? Uh, all the Old Testament, but this morning we're going to narrow our focus, and Jesus narrows his focus in to the commandments of the Old Testament. We're asking the question this morning, how do followers of Christ relate to Old Testament commandments? We're narrowing our focus in this morning, And, and, and what we're going to see this morning is that Christ calls his disciples to keep the commands of the Old Testament. Christ calls his disciples to keep the commands of the Old Testament, but to keep them in a far greater way than even the most meticulous law keepers of his day. He calls those who follow him to keep the Old Testament commandments, but to keep them in a far greater way than anyone at that point in Israel was doing. Now, before we read the text this morning, I want to tell you that this message is is somewhat, maybe even very theological. We're dealing with with big biblical themes and connections that are between the Testaments that we're trying to make. But my goal this morning is very practical. Uh, my hope after last week's message and this week's message is this, that, that each one of us will be more equipped to open our Old Testaments and to read them and, and to understand what it says and, and to rejoice in how it leads us to Christ, and then to apply it to our lives, and then even to teach others what it says. That, that's, that's my practical hope and goal for us as a church, that we would grow in being able to handle the Old Testament Scriptures rightly as believers in Jesus. That we would be able to read it, understand it, rejoice in it, apply it, and teach it to others. But to do that, we need to think hard about what Jesus says this morning. So we're going to read uh, from verse 17 through 20, Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20, and we're going to focus in this morning on 19 and 20. So Matthew 5, and we'll start in verse 17. Our text this morning is 19 and 20. Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away... Through 19 and 20 again. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So in these verses, Jesus teaches his disciples which would include all those who follow him. Matthew is writing this gospel to the early church, the early Christians, to disciples of Jesus, and and he's giving us instructions for following Christ as his disciples. Jesus would say to all his disciples that we are to keep the Old Testament commandments. But but this passage gives us four aspects of that keeping that we need to understand if we're, if we're going to keep them the way that Christ intends. So that's what we're looking at this morning, is, is, is the answer to the question is we are to keep them. We are to keep the Old Testament commandments. But there's four aspects of how we are to do that if we are understanding what Jesus is teaching correctly. So first, we are to keep Old Testament commandments fully. We are to keep Old Testament commandments fully. In other words, we are to keep all of them. All right, no one's run out yet. Okay, so I texted a former pastor yesterday and I said, uh, this is one of those I hope it doesn't come across like heresy sermons. All right, so stay with me this morning, because if your perspective of Old Testament commandments is this, not all Old Testament commandments apply today, If that's your perspective coming in, is that not all of them apply today, then then what I'm going to ask you to do right now is just to set that thought on the shelf over here. So just imagine yourself on the shelf for a moment and listen to what Jesus says. Because you're not wrong. I want to say right now, you're not wrong. But we need to hear what Jesus says if we're going to get there and and understand why they would not all apply today. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So when he says these commandments, what commandments is he referring to? He could be referring ahead to the commandments he's about to give. But if you're a listener listening to the sermon, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Jesus just said that the law will continue till the heavens and the earth pass away. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, you see, if you're hearing that, what, what are you hearing? You're hearing the commandments of the law. And that's what he's referring to. He's referring back to the commandments of the Old Testament. That's what these commandments refers to, is the commandments of the Old Testament. And, and then look, he says the least of these commandments. So, so there's a category here that we need to understand. Not all commandments are created equal. Um, We see this in Matthew 23. Flip ahead to Matthew 23. Jesus is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he says this to them, verse 23. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So not all Old Testament commandments are created equal. Jesus himself says that, that there are lighter matters and weightier matters. Your tithing is not as significant as justice and faithfulness and mercy. is what he says to the Pharisees there. So, so when he says leave these commandments, that's the kind of, of thing that's going on, is that there are some commandments that are less weighty, less significant than others in terms of, of, of their importance to pleasing God. But, but, but look what he says in verse 19. If you relax one of the least of these commandments, what's he, what's he doing? He's saying, find the most insignificant commandment you can. Find the least weighty commandment you have. Maybe that's the best way to say it. Find the least weighty commandment in the Old Testament. You can't even relax that one. To relax it means that you say, that's not, we don't need to do that one. Don't, don't worry about that. And he says, he says, whoever relaxes even the least of these commandments... Will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So he condemns this idea that we could relax any of the commandments. How many of you ever heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible? Anyone ever heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible? So Thomas Jefferson was a uh, Christian deist, but he was he was a deist, and and he also did not believe in the supernatural, did not believe in miracles. He, he believed that God there was a creator, but that he just wound the world up like a, like a clock and let it go, and so what he did with his actual Bibles, he cut out everything supernatural from it. He, he literally took scissors and cut, cut it all out so that all that was left was, was the non-supernatural, the non-miraculous, all right? So we, we look at them, and we're like, you can't do that, that's God's word, you can't just cut things out of it, but listen, do we do that with the Old Testament Commandments? Do you do that? With the, do you have your version of the Bible? Where you, you could just cut out all these commandments that you just say, that's not for us anymore. We don't keep those. Those don't matter. You cut them out. And Jesus is saying that we cannot cut any out. He's saying that they all matter. And here's what Jesus calls for at the end of verse 19. Whoever does them, that is, does all the commandments, keeps all of them and teaches them, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven, so Jesus calls his disciples to keep every Old Testament commandment. He calls his disciples to keep them fully. Now, why does he do this? Look at the beginning of the verse. Therefore, this is this is so significant that we make the connection from last week to this week. He says, "Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these will will be called least in the kingdom of heaven." So, 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 what's he referring back to? Well, verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So, so we saw last week that he's speaking about the enduring authority of the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures continue to be scripture to us until the end of the age. They are God's word to us. Therefore, we can't relax any of the commandments. His commandments are his commandments. They are God's word to his people. Therefore, because the Old Testament is authoritative, we must keep the commandments. Okay, now at this point, I want to invite you to take that presupposition back off the shelf, all right, and look at it and see it. The, 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 the thought that don't, don't some Old Testament commandments not apply anymore? Where do we get this idea? If this is what Jesus says, why, where do we get this idea that some don't apply anymore? Well, we get it from the New Testament. The New Testament explicitly teaches that circumcision, sacrifices, food laws, festivals are no longer requirements for the church. But how does that fit with what we're hearing here? How does does the New Testament's teaching later that these things aren't required anymore fit with Jesus saying you can't relax even the least of them? Is there a contradiction going on here? What's happening? Well, this leads to the second aspect of how we are to keep the commandments. So first, we are to keep them fully. And here's what I want you to take away from this first point. is There's not a commandment in the Old Testament that you should ignore. There's not a commandment in the Old Testament that we can cut out. There's not a commandment in the Old Testament that we can just say, oh, we don't need that one anymore. We should keep them fully. But now, second, we are to keep Old Testament commandments truly. We are to keep them truly. So, therefore, again, verse 19, this word therefore is so important. We've already seen that it refers back to the authority of the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is authoritative scripture, therefore we must keep the commandments fully. But Jesus said more last week than the Old Testament's just authoritative, didn't he? What we saw last week is that Jesus also talked about the meaning of the Old Testament. He didn't just say it's still authoritative. He also said this, I've come to fulfill the Old Testament. Jesus came and said, the Old Testament is about me. Jesus came and he said, it all points to me. I'm, I'm the central subject of the Old Testament scriptures. I'm the one who fulfills it. And, and the therefore is just as much connected to that truth as to the authority. So, so because the Old Testament is authoritative scripture, yes, we must keep the commandments fully. And because the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ, therefore we must keep the commandments truly. We must keep them truly, and, and that what that means is we need to keep them in light of their fulfillment in Christ. We need to keep them in light of the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You know, theologians have struggled for a long time with what do we do with the law and what is the New Testament's teaching on the law, and even trying to divide the law into parts and say these laws apply, these laws don't. The the, the best instruction I've ever received on this. Is that what we need to do? What Jesus is teaching us, what the New Testament teaches us, is that we we take every and, every command of the Old Testament, any command that you come across, and what you do with that particular command, any specific command, is you bring it through the cross. You take every command through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the cross, and you ask, How did Jesus? What did Jesus say about this command? What did Jesus uh, ministry? about this command look like when he fulfilled it? What did Jesus teach? What did, how did the gospel transform this command? You take it through the cross to the other side before you apply it. So, so we should not just read the Old Testament and apply them directly to our lives. We should take each one, interpreting it in light of the fact that Christ is the fulfillment. And this is how we keep the commands both fully and truly. So, so, let me go back to the beginning three examples I gave you, and, and let's just work through this a little bit, okay? So, you shall have no other gods before me. It's an Old Testament command that we read. So, what does it mean to take that command through the cross, through the gospel, through Jesus, and apply it to our lives? We want to keep it, but we want to keep it truly. Well, first, I just think about Jesus' example when he was tempted. When Jesus was tempted, what did he say to Satan? When Satan said, worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world, what did Jesus say? You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So Jesus himself uh, lived out, you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus himself lived out this this command to not have idols. And then later in the New Testament, you, you get verses like this. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And so, so the Old Testament says, don't have idols. Jesus said, don't have idols. And the apostles say, don't have idols. So, so how, how has the cross transformed this command? Well, it's pretty simple and straightforward. This is an easy one. We're starting easy, okay? You shall have no other gods before me means, you shall have no other gods before me. We apply this truly by worshiping God in Christ. If anything's changed, that's what changes. Now we see that we worship God in Christ. And if we're not worshiping God in Christ, then then we are making an idol for ourselves. But you shall have no other gods before me applies uh, straightforwardly and directly to us. Now let's think about the second one. You shall offer animal sacrifices. This one is not so simple, right? Now Jesus has told us you can't just ignore it. You can't just say it doesn't matter. We're called to keep this command fully, but also truly. So let's think about this. Uh, The laws about animal sacrifices, they represent all the aspects of the sacrificial system. The the tabernacle, the priesthood, the sacrifices, uh, everything that's involved with, with the sacrificial system is what we're talking about right now. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened in the temple? The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And that tearing of the curtain represented the picture of the end of the sacrificial system as the way to God. Why? Because Jesus died for sins and rose again, and now he is the way to the Father. The New Testament teaches, and especially the book of Hebrews teaches, that every aspect of the sacrificial system was a shadow that pointed to Christ as the substance. So every time you read an Old Testament command dealing with the sacrificial system, the New Testament teaches us to think this. This is a shadow. This is a shadow. shadow. That priest is a shadow. That sacrifice is a shadow. This, This tabernacle is a shadow pointing to the substance, which is Christ. He's the great high priest. He's the tabernacle. He's the sacrifice. And so if we're thinking about that and then we read a commandment like you shall offer animal sacrifices, how do we keep that? How do we keep that? Well, that commandment should lead us to confess our sins and trust in Jesus. We apply that commandment. We don't, we don't just ignore it, we don't just cut it out. No, we read it and we, and we say, this points to Jesus, he's the sacrifice I need. God has offered him for me. And so Jesus, I come and I confess my sins to you. And I trust that you are the once for all sacrifice. And I trust that you are my priest. And so I look to you for help and I trust that, that you are the temple. So I meet with God through your spirit. And so these commandments, we we do keep them, but we keep them truly. We don't offer sacrifices. We don't build a temple and go to it. We don't have a priesthood. We we keep these truly by turning to Christ. He is the substance of all of these types of commands. Let's look at the third one. You shall not eat bacon. Like, please, tell us, how can we get around this, right? Okay, so I'm, of course, referring to the food laws of the Old Testament. And along with these commandments about food were a host of other laws that were all about being clean and unclean in Israel. How do we keep these commandments? Well, we need to understand the function of these laws in the Old Testament. They, 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 they were primarily about separating Israel from the nations. All these laws about being clean and unclean, many of which we don't really even know uh, what, what was the practical benefit of that? They were all about preserving Israel as separate from the nation surrounding them. Israel was called by God to be his distinct separate people in the world. And through Israel, the Messiah would come. God promised Abraham that the Messiah would come through him. And God, God gave them these laws to keep them separate and distinct as a nation until the Messiah came. Well, in the New Testament, what happens? The Messiah comes. Jesus comes. He lives a righteous life. He dies. He rises again. He ascends to heaven. And then he appears to Peter in Acts 10. And he lays out a a, a feast of unclean food. And and he says to Peter, rise up and eat. So so something has happened, right? Something has changed. And Peter says, says, no, I'm not going to do that. This is unclean. And you know what Jesus says? What God has made clean. Do not call common. So, 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 so through Jesus' coming and death and resurrection, all of a sudden what was unclean is now clean. What, what they could not eat, they couldn't. We can eat bacon now is what he's saying. But what's changed? Why, why, why the change? Well, because Jesus came and died and rose again, all the laws that kept Israel separate have fulfilled their purpose. The Messiah has come, and, and there's no longer this need to separate ethnic Israel, cultural Israel, from the nations. Now, now the gospel is going to all the nations, regardless of culture, or clothing, or diet. And so Jesus' is coming and brought these laws to their completion. And yet again, does that mean we can just ignore them? Does that mean we can just cut them out, say they don't apply today? Well, no, because there's more in the New Testament about this. Look, look, look at Matthew 15 with me, at what Jesus says. Matthew 15. So what we're saying is, on the one hand, that, that these laws have, have reached their purpose. They've, they've, they've done what they were called to do to separate Israel from the nations until the Messiah came. Now that he's come and the gospel's going to the Gentiles, they're not necessary anymore. And yet, there's also a deeper meaning to these laws. Look at Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. Jesus called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. The disciples came and said to him, Do you, not, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said, Explain the parable to us. He said, Are you still without understanding? So, in a sense, the clean and unclean laws, the food laws, all these, all these laws of distinction, their purpose is completed, so we don't need to keep them anymore. But when we read them, here's what Jesus is tell- telling us. When we read those laws, we need to realize they pointed to a deeper reality that it's not about what's clean and unclean on the outside, but that they pointed to the fact that we have defiled hearts. And so when we read about, about food that's unclean or, 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 or clothing that had to be distinct, we need to realize God calls us to be separate, but not in all these physical external ways. He calls us to be separate in the heart, separate from sin, uh, separated for holiness in, in our hearts. He calls us to not be defiled on the inside. And so how do, we, how do we truly keep a command like that? We don't just ignore it, but we truly keep it through Repentance. We truly keep it by asking God to cleanse our hearts of what is truly unclean inside of us. And so we're reading our Old Testament and we come across a law like this and this should lead us to, one, rejoice that Christ has come and, two, repent of the uncleanness that's in our hearts. We need to keep them fully but also truly. We don't just apply them directly as if Christ has never come. No, we interpret them through the lens of Christ, through his gospel, and then we apply them to our lives as he intends us to. We must keep them truly. Third, we must keep the Old Testament commandments inwardly. Inwardly. So we've seen we must keep them fully, we must keep them truly, and third, we must keep them inwardly. Look at Matthew 5, verse 20. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, in this verse, Jesus calls his disciples to a greater righteousness than the righteousness of the religious leaders of Israel. A greater righteousness than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. He points to the scribes and the Pharisees and he says, You must be more righteous than them. Exceeding righteousness. Now, on first hearing this, this would, have, this would have felt like a crushing impossibility. Because the scribes and the Pharisees, and even though we, we think of them as the bad guys, because we're so used to, to hearing what Jesus said to them, at this point, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they were the righteous ones. They, they were the ones who knew the law and kept the law. They were the holy ones in Israel. The, the scribes and the Pharisees were the gold standard of righteousness, You talk about keeping the commandments fully. The Pharisees had commandments for the commandments. I mean, these people were the law keepers. They were the righteous ones. And yet, throughout Jesus' ministry, he confronted them with the charge that their religion was empty. We just read a minute ago. He called them hypocrites. Their righteousness was not righteous in God's sight. Why not? What what was not enough about their righteousness? Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, gives five marks of the scribes and Pharisees' righteousness. Just listen to these. This this is the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It was entirely external and formal. It 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 dealt with what people could see and observe. It was more concerned with the ceremonial than the moral. They they were especially concerned with with going through the right motions in, in the public places. It was marked by man-made rules and regulations. Again, they had commandments for their commandments, and they had commandments for those commandments. It was primarily concerned with glorifying self, not glorifying God. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be praised for their righteousness. And it focused on the details of the law, not the spirit of the law. The, the scribes and Pharisees focused on the letter and not on the the heart intention of the law and 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 what Jesus said to them in another place he says you're like whitewashed tombs you're like whitewashed tombs what's the image is you look you look beautiful on the outside and yet you're dead on the inside there's nothing good to see here when Jesus says that our righteousness must exceed their righteousness he's not talking about a greater quantity of righteous deeds He's talking about a greater quality of righteousness. He's talking about a deeper righteousness. He's talking about an inward righteousness that focuses on the heart. Jesus calls us to a righteousness that is about the heart. And so let's think about those examples again, okay? So you shall have no other gods before me. To keep this inwardly means that we aren't content just to not have a physical idol set up on our houses. To keep this inwardly means that we recognize that underneath every sin, in our lives, there's an idol in our hearts. And we pursue repentance of that inward idolatry. So we don't just say, check, no idols. No, we say, there's, there's, my heart is filled with idols. As Calvin said, it's an idol factory. And we pursue repentance of those inward idols you shall offer animal sacrifices. Now, we already saw that, that keeping that truly means that we, we trust in Christ. We turn to Christ. We know that Christ is the substance. But to keep it inwardly means that we aren't content with just being known as a Christian. We aren't content with just having walked an aisle or prayed a prayer. We aren't content just to go to church and look like Christ followers on the outside. But it means that we actively confess our sins to him. We, we, we actually give ourselves time to repent. We give ourselves time to hear from him. We give ourselves time to, to be with him and worship him. There's, there's, there's a heart-level pursuit of Christ going on. And it's not just that we believe these things on the outside before others. Or think about the food laws and you shall not eat bacon. We saw that this command has been fulfilled on the outside. We're free to eat bacon, right? But it also reflects the defilement of our hearts. And we aren't content just to look good on the outside. We aren't content with what everyone here thinks of us if we know that we are defiled inwardly. You, might, you may look like a wonderful Christian to everyone else in this room right now, but if you know that there is defilement that I am hiding and I'm not repenting of and I'm just putting on a show, Jesus is saying, that's not righteousness. You need an inward righteousness. You need a deep righteousness. You need a heart-level righteousness, a righteousness that, that pursues God for the sake of God and for his glory. So we are to keep the Old Testament commandments fully, truly, and inwardly. We're to keep them uh, reading the Old Testament and applying them with an emphasis on the cross and with an emphasis on what's going on in our hearts before the Lord. This is the greater righteousness that we are called to as followers of Christ. It's One more though, we are to keep Old Testament commandments responsively. Responsively. We need to answer an important question about verse 20. Look again. Jesus says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And here's the question we need to answer this morning. Is Jesus teaching salvation by works here? Is Jesus teaching us that we need to earn entrance into the kingdom of heaven through being righteous enough? Kind of what it sounds like, right? Unless you're righteous enough, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But we need to give a resounding no to that question. Is Jesus teaching that we earn salvation through personal righteousness? And the answer is no. And we know that this is not what he's saying because of what he's already said in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, no one wants to be taken out of context, no preacher wants to be taken out of context, and Jesus does not want us to take him out of context. This is one sermon, and it began this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need to remember that as we read this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, who does the kingdom of heaven belong to? Those who earn righteousness? Those who are righteous enough? No, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit to the spiritual beggars, to the ones who come to God and acknowledge that they have no righteousness. The ones who come to God and say, I'm not righteous, and I can never be righteous, and I need your grace. I have a total lack of righteousness, and God, I depend on you, and I trust in what you've done for me. Those are the ones that God gives the kingdom to. The kingdom of heaven is not earned by those who live righteously. It's a gift of God's grace to those who confess their desperate lack of righteousness and their need for grace. That, that's where the sermon begins. So what does Jesus mean then when he says that we need to have this greater righteousness to enter the kingdom? What, what is he saying then? Well, we need to remember the Beatitudes don't end with poor in spirit. They begin there, don't they? They begin with poor in spirit. What happens next? God begins to transform us from the inside out. We move from being humble to all of a sudden we're hungry for righteousness and then God satisfies us with righteousness and all of a sudden we're being persecuted for righteousness and he sends us into the world as salt and light and and God produces actual, true, inward righteousness in our lives and that righteousness is the evidence that we belong to the kingdom. That righteousness is the evidence that this is someone who I have saved. Where does it begin with being poor in spirit? But, it, but you don't just stay there, you're transformed. Anyone who receives the kingdom as someone who is poor in spirit is then transformed to have this actual, exceeding, greater righteousness. And if you don't have it, then you have no reason to think you're part of the kingdom. If you can't look at your life and say that I have this inward, greater righteousness, then you will never enter the kingdom. That's a true statement. You will not enter the kingdom of God without this righteousness. But that does not mean you strive to earn it yourself. No, it means you come to God and say, I'm not righteous. I can never be righteous. I can't earn my own way. I'm a spiritual beggar begging for grace. And God will give you the kingdom in that moment as you trust in him, as you trust in what he's done in sending his son to live the righteous life we didn't live, die for our sins, rise again as you trust in him, confessing that you have no righteousness, God gives you the kingdom. And then he transforms you and he makes you righteous. And that is the evidence that you belong to the kingdom of heaven. And so church, what this means is that when we read the Old Testament commandments, when we, when, we, when we look at these, we can keep them joyfully. And we can keep them responsibly knowing that we're not earning anything. We are responding to what God has done for us. Keeping the commands of God is a joy now. Think about Psalm 119 and how the psalmist over and over says, I delight in your commandments. We delight in God's commandments when we realize that they are given to us by a God of grace and love who has saved us through His Son. We delight in His commandments and we keep them with joy because we know we've already received the kingdom by His grace. We keep them responsibly as an act of worship and love to the God who saved us from our sins. i want to give you two applications this morning. First, examine your life for this greater righteousness. Examine your life for this greater righteousness. Look at your life and ask, do I have this inward righteousness or am I a whitewashed tomb? Do I have heart-level righteousness or am I a hypocrite? If you don't see in your life this inward righteousness, keeping of God's commands, this, this heart-level pursuit of pleasing God and turning away from sin in your heart, if you don't see that, then, then listen, don't start trying to earn it. Don't just, don't just start trying really hard to be righteous enough. That's not what, that's not what this calls us to do. What, this, what we need to do, if you don't see it, what you need to do is you need to understand that, that you've probably never experienced the grace of God for yourself. And you need to go back to the beginning of this sermon. You need to come to the Lord and say, I am a spiritual beggar. I have no righteousness and I can't earn my way to you. But I believe you gave your son for me. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I believe I have forgiveness in him and eternal life in him. And and, and you humble yourself before God. And what he will do is he will save you, he will forgive you, and he will transform you. So, so examine your life for this greater righteousness, and if you don't see it, then humble yourself before the Lord and seek His grace. And then if you do, church, if you see this, know this is, this is the work of God in you. This is God transforming you from the inside out by His grace, and, and just continue to cultivate it. One response we should be having continually to the Sermon on the Mount is that we want to grow in righteousness. We want to grow in holiness. We want to be people who increasingly understand and apply God's commands to us. And so cultivate this righteousness by knowing what God has said, uh, th- this sermon this week, is just, I-, I just want to read the Old Testament commands like never before. I want to go back and, and start studying them and, and asking how does it, what does it mean to keep this truly and to keep this inwardly for the glory of God. So know God's commands, know how they're fulfilled in Christ, know how they apply to you, and then by God's grace, keep them from the heart. Keep them from the heart as a response of love to Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Examine yourself for this righteousness and cultivate this righteousness as God works it in you. It's all through Christ. Philippians 1 says this. Paul's praying for the church and listen to what he prays for them. Philippians chapter 1. He says, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. And then listen, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's what we desire to see. We desire to see our lives filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through being united by faith to Jesus Christ, and this would resound to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for all of your word. We thank you for giving us uh, 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament where you speak to us. And we we thank you for, uh, in your word, helping us to understand uh, the way we can hear what you have said and apply it to our lives. Lord, we, we confess that we have often... Uh, ignored parts of your word and and when it comes to your commands Lord we we want to thank you that that by Christ we are no longer under the law we want to thank you Lord that that we do not need to earn righteousness that we are not trying to earn salvation by our works but we praise you that in Christ you have set us free and you've given us forgiveness and eternal life in the kingdom of God And, and now Lord we we want to hear your word rightly and truly We want to apply it in a way that would magnify your gospel, magnify your son, magnify your worth, Lord. So help us to cultivate this inward righteousness by by your spirit. Lord, it's not us. We, We cannot produce righteousness on our own. We are branches, but Jesus, you are the vine, and we are in you. So we pray that you would bear fruit through us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.